Welcome everybody to We Heart Therapy and our brand new series, EFT Talk. I'm your host, Annabelle Bugatti, LMFT and certified EFT therapist in Las Vegas, Nevada. Today we have a very wonderful guest. Her name is Aviva Rizal. She's an LMFT on Long Island in the grand old state of New York. She is a certified EFT supervisor. She helps run trainings and special EFT events in New York and Long Island. And she has her own series on YouTube, EFT Appetizers. So make sure you check that out. Thank you so much, Aviva, for being part of our show. Thank you so much, Annabelle. This is such a privilege to be here. And it's really fun to be speaking to you from my set of my YouTube show to you on your YouTube show. So it's really fun. It's like little worlds colliding here. Yeah, it's really exciting. So I find that a lot of folks who are learning EFT for the first time or, you know, they're, they're a little familiar with it. There's some trouble distinguishing between enactments in stage one versus enactments in stage two. And mm -hmm. of course, the course of EFT, we use enactments as, you know, the, the vehicle through which we work through the entire process. But of course, we're going to be enacting different things in stage one versus stage two. And I think this will also be helpful for people who are trying to get certified and looking through their tapes. So can you sort of speak to what the difference would be between enactments in stage one and stage two, and then maybe give us a, an example? Certainly. It's a great question. And I think that a lot of us can get tripped up on it with it if we're not clear on what each piece is for. So enactments are kind of funny because it's an intervention that we use throughout all the stages of EFT, but unlike interventions like validation or reflection, you need to use it judiciously and you need to know it kind of has to link up with something in order for it to be effective. So in stage one, we're going to use the intervention of an enactment kind of as a de-escalating tool. And we keep it in our pocket. We wait, we wait, we wait, we reflect, we validate, we track the cycle until we start to hear something that sounds new and taps into some sort of vulnerability or longing or pain. So if I'm in my first session with a couple and I'm trying to understand why they're so disconnected and so, so escalated, and then I start to hear something and I hear um, she goes out with her friends whenever this conflict starts to happen. And I sit with her and I find, oh, why is she leaving the home in that time? She's leaving because it's too painful for her to stay and face the rejection of her partner. That's something I'm going to want to enact because what's the partner's experience? The partner's experience is she leaves because she doesn't want me. But no, no, no. If we actually sit with her, we see she leaves because she's to pains because she feels like her partner doesn't want her. So anytime we want to like get like almost like clear the record up and like, listen, partner, she loves you or he loves you. And really, you know, the action tendency that you're seeing that's really driving you guys apart is really coming from a place that could connect you guys. That's a stage one type of enactment. So it's anything that touches upon vulnerability or longing, any sort of primary emotion we're taking from secondary to primary. So that's really nice. And that so can be very well. Let me make sure that I'm tracking you correctly. So it sounds like in stage one, the enactments, the first enactments are really going to center around having them talk to each other about the cycle, about what's going on for them in the cycle, 
in a way that they haven't talked about it before. So if I'm, let's say in this example, the person who leaves to go out with my friends because it's too painful to sit with rejection, we're going to have them talk about maybe share with their partner and, and help me with this if I'm getting it correct. I might have them enact, okay, so when I, when I leave the house, it's not because I don't care, it's because I'm afraid that I'm gonna be rejected. And that would be something new. So we're having them share like the action tendencies, sort of what's underneath that and you know, starting to have them dig under the reactive emotions and share the primary emotion, you know, like when you say, you know, or when you're quiet and you don't respond, the message I get is that you don't care and that's really hurtful for me. So we might enact that. Exactly. And so this is the beginning of giving them a new relationship. We're giving them a less escalated relationship where they're not reacting and bouncing off each other, where every move isn't, you know, hitting them so deeply, because now they're starting to learn, oh, when my partner does something that starts to trigger me, maybe there's something deeper going on that I don't see. Maybe my partner really wants me. Maybe I'm something to make it unsafe let's see what's going on and it helps them kind of get curious about it they start to see my husband uses an example he's also a therapist he uses like the split screen oh this is perfect what we have on our computer right now it's exactly what we want to give our couples in stage one they have the action tendency that they're used to they're used to that vision of their partner and then there's this thing underneath that they don't usually have access to so the enactment is the road to get to the second screen and it kind of helps them start to see like oh there's something else going on here now it's not easy to do an enactment if you've ever been an eft couples client like I have with my husband it's so much harder than it looks it's so much harder because if it were easy then we would be showing our partner that part but we don't because it's dangerous so that's where they need us especially in both stage one and stage two for that's where they need us as therapists to provide safety because it's really risky and a lot of times, as you mentioned, you know, the risk in stage one is we may have them share something and the other partner doesn't receive it so well. They hear it as, I've done something wrong, I'm at fault. And a lot of times I hear them get really escalated and they start to defend themselves. And oftentimes I find out when you dig a little deeper, they hear it as, well, I don't want to cause you pain. And if I get you to change the way you think, then you won't be in pain. And they don't understand that that method of getting to taking away the pain just doesn't work. It's through the emotional access, right? Mm -hmm. And I love how you're able to sit with it after because that highlights enactments. You can't just do an enactment and then sit back. You need to stay really close to them right after the enactment. And you need to process it because we predict that in the beginning, it's not going to land well. They're going to be confused. The split screen effect, the, the partner that they're used to seeing, that's what starts to, you know, pop up, even if their partner's saying something new. So, it's okay. so in stage one, it's also very common for them to say, like, I don't really know what to do with that. This is really new. It's hard for me to believe this. Almost like it's too good to be true. Like, I, mm -hmm. I like that you're telling me in this new way. It's much more effective but then I don't trust that the next time we come up against this at home, it's really gonna happen that way. So of course I'm not gonna trust it. 
Exactly, exactly. That mistrust is just too great. And I love the language that you're using. I hope the therapists at home and in their offices watching this can learn from you because we really need to validate that mistrust. We can't expect them to just jump in. That would be kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it really would be. Like if you put yourself in that place, you're used to your partner doing it a certain way. Suddenly they say something different. That would be dumb to just latch onto it and be like, oh, great, I could trust this. No, don't trust yeah. it. And so when the therapist is there giving permission for that, that helps that mistrust feel a little safer. Yeah. So it sounds like stage one is really teaching them how to talk about the process, the way that they're fighting in a way that they haven't talked about it before. Because at home, they're getting really caught up in maybe insulting and blaming. Well, you're a jerk when you do this. <laughs> and, you know, they get stuck there and they don't realize they're, you know, a lot of times we find couples part of the reason is they're jumping to assumptions about their partner's behavior and that assumption has an emotional reaction. And now we're getting them to dig deeper and to actually talk about those assumptions and saying, when I hear this, this is what stands out for me and this is how that affects me. And then I react in this way. And, and when I react this way, it's not because I don't care. I don't love you. It's because I'm trying to reach you and I don't know how else to reach you. So, you know, like, when one person shuts down and the other person protests, I say it's sort of like your partner's just put up this brick wall and the protester's taking out a sledgehammer and trying to break it down. And of course it feels threatening to the person on the other side of the wall because the, the partner's coming after them with an emotional sledgehammer, right? But it's not because they don't love their partner, it's because I'm trying to get on the other side of that wall with you because that wall is what threatens me. Am I getting that right? That, metaphor. that is such an amazing metaphor. And now that we're fleshing it out and talking about it, we could see the mile markers. And this sounds like a very stage one sort of enactment because it's linking to the, attach, the, to the action tendency. Mm -hmm. Typically, I'm sledging you, I'm coming at you, but really it's the longing behind it. Typically, I build that wall even stronger to protect me from your sledgehammer, but that's because I'm so scared. Yeah. So that's very stage one and it's so vital we can't get to stage two unless we first you know link it into the cycle and link it to their action tendencies so that way they could start to shape it differently yes yeah, so stage one is all in the de-escalation phase is all about teaching them to talk about what's happening in the moment instead of jumping out to you know attacking their partner and verbally assaulting them or just shutting down and leaving the room starting to say you know, when I shut down, this is what's happening for me. It's really scary. I feel really sad. Or when I start to attack you, it's because I feel like I can't reach you. I don't feel heard. And that's scary. And that hurts. So we're really teaching them to talk about their fights in a new way. Because obviously the way that they're caught up in it is hard mm -hmm. um, and gets them stuck. And then I guess some of the markers that, that the couple is ready to transition into stage two and do different kinds of enactments is when you can sort of, and tell me if I have this right, is when you hear them say, okay, we see the cycle and we've been able to sort of stop it and, and get out of it ourselves, which is great, right? But I found that with a lot of couples, the absence of disconnection doesn't necessarily mean the presence of connection. 
some couples, when you clear up the cycle, they're naturally able to start reaching for each other and stage two could be really short. Mm -hmm. But other couples, it's like, okay, now we're not fighting, but we're still not reaching for each other in a vulnerable way. So mm -hmm. how will stage two enactments look much different than stage one? I love how you frame that. You know, it's so true what you're saying. Stage one just creates safety. It can't connect. It can't create connection unless the couples are really good at that. Most couples are not really good at that. And so that's where they need our help. So now our enactments kind of have different targets. And I'm a student of George Fowler. So this is what I call the Georgian enactment. <laughs> Seven, step seven in stage two is where the ultimate enactment comes. And that's what we're going for. So I'm gonna fast forward ahead. We just started stage two and now let's fast forward to our step seven. That's when uh, the partner, each of them have to have a turn with it, at least one turn. Um, the partner reaches down to their unmet attachment needs and then they reach across and share it with their partner and they try to get a response from their partner. And then that completely restructures their relationship. Now it's not about building safety. It's about building a bond, building a connection. And this enactment is what we're going for throughout the whole treatment. We're building up to this enactment. And that's also one of the reasons why we use it as an intervention in stage one, because it is so darn scary when you're going to like the base of it, like the unmet attachment need, you're going to reveal it and ask your partner to respond to you when you're not sure if they would even want you in that place. You have to like build up immunity little by little. And that's why we sprinkle in enactments all throughout stage one, even when it feels like unnecessary important to have them have that muscle memory and that experience of like, okay, this is scary. Let me jump off a little cliff. Okay. And now we're taking them to the highest cliff. This is like the gold medal moment. So what is in this moment? What are we looking for? First, we want to go for the deepest fears and the deepest longing. In stage one and in the beginning of stage two, we're starting to touch on the primary emotion and we can see some of the attachment stuff, but we want to go so deep like it's a little bit sadistic how deep we want to go. <laughs> we want to go to the place where we're hearing our partners feeling unsure of themselves and their language would sound something like, I just don't know how to get it right. I don't think I'm ever going to get it right. I can't imagine anyone would want me in this place. And yes, we can get pretty much every human being down to that place, no matter how guarded they are, no matter what their secondary strategies are. If we honor all the blocks, then we can get them to that place. Once we're in that place, we want to heighten the fact that this is scary and that they may not feel wantable in the here and now. How does it feel for you with your partner looking at you, seeing you like that? I'm not sure that he would want me like this. I might be disgusting for him right here. We want to make it alive. We want to not talk about the cycle back at home. We want to make something happen right here in front of us in the room. That's what we're going for. And so when they get to that place where they are unsure, now we don't want to kill them. So we also need our step six. So we need to make sure that the partner does want it. We could read the body language or we could check in. Partner, are you here with him or her? Are you, you know, are you here? Are you engaged? Do you care? Yes, I care. Oh my gosh, it pains me so much to see him this way. Okay, good. That's a good step six. Now we could keep going. And then we say, what do you need in this place? Now, typically, they have no idea. 
and they shouldn't know. They've never been in this place before. Who would ever dream of asking for what I need when they're not sure if they're even lovable in this place? So that's where we help them and we conject a little bit and we guess till we find something. Once they find that need, then they turn to their partner and they ask for their need to be met. And it sounds something like, when you see me in so much pain and feeling so bad about myself, like I just could never get it right, would you even want me in this place? Because if you would want me, then what I would need is just some sort of reassurance from you that you still love me even in my biggest failings. And so oh, that's deep, that's vulnerable, that's a huge risk. When the partner comes and reaches and gives some sort of responsiveness, then we start to notice a felt sense. There's this change, there's this relief, there's this lightness. And that means you have gone the deepest that you needed to go and you've gotten a new piece of responsiveness and now you've restructured this relationship and now you've helped lay the groundwork for connection. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love the way that you, you say that, that really, so it sounds like, and help me if I'm getting this correctly, is, you know, in stage two, we're not going into what keeps them in disconnection. Now we're finding out, you know, how do you feel connection or how do you want connection and are you reaching for it? And if you're not reaching for it, what's holding you back? And really sitting with them in that place of, you know, it holds me back because I'm afraid I'm not lovable or they don't love me in that way. Really deeper, deeper layers to the cycle, to their connection and really helping them to, to turn to their partner and say, you know, I hold back from seeking affection from you, from cuddling with you or initiating sex because I'm really afraid that you'll reject me and I could not bear that and I feel so ashamed and so hurt. So I hold back from that. And ideally, you know, they're about to take a big leap and you want to make sure that partner is like that safety net that's going to catch them. And they're like, well, yeah, I really want to hear that you want to be close in this way because I feel loved and wanted when you tell me that you want to be close. And, and I'm so surprised. And sometimes you'll hear them even go, sometimes in stage two, I've had people sort of go into their own shame as to how did I ever send you that message that it wasn't safe for you to pull close to me because that's all I've ever wanted. So you're like really, really getting into the deep layers of their heart, of their emotions, it sounds like. Yes, and to make sure that we are going the deepest that we could go, we use present moment. Mm -hmm. So if they're saying, when I do that, then that means that's not present moment. It's right here, as you see me, can you want me right here? And there's a difference. Even when we play around with the role plays, we, George is my mentor. He's very, uh, he's like, you got to hit these mile marks to be able to really know that you went deep enough. And when we play around with it, when we're just in a role, we feel the difference. It is frightening. It is so frightening to be like, could you want me right here, right now, as you see me this vulnerable? That's very different than, I'm not sure if you want me um, with sex, so I stop initiating. That's so much safer. Like, let's talk about that instead. It's right. so dangerous to say, right here, will you accept me or will you reject me? It's like, right. it's hard to I, I feel like that, 
like, you know, talking about sex or even coming close can be a window into bringing it to right now. When yes. So you use that as the entry point. Okay, you're afraid that your partner may not want you. And then you get into how do you see yourself now? I don't see myself as lovable or wanted by my partner. Oh, can you, you know, share this with your partner right here, right now? You know, really, you know, because obviously, sure, it's at a distance with some scenarios, but it leads back to a core feeling that they carry with them every day. And we want to figure out what that core feeling is and have them share it in, in a real deep way. Exactly. So I hope everyone caught what you just said, that if they're getting it wrong, we just use it as a road towards the here and now. So that way we can we can get them to that full step seven. Everything that they give us, we can validate it, we can feel it, but then we can deepen it by using it as a window towards where we're really trying to go. I love how you said that. So they may bring up scenarios where they try to connect and where it's scary. Uh oh, you froze. Sorry, I hope that Sorry. didn't interrupt our. Uh, I got a little phone call while we were, while oh, we're filming, okay. so I hope that didn't interrupt. I apologize. So we use the scenarios. So they'll give us scenarios where they try to connect or where it doesn't quite happen, and you can use that to dig down as as like the window in or the doorway into how they really feel to that core feeling because that core feeling isn't just in that moment when I, you know, don't initiate sex or I don't try to get close, you know, it's not because at that moment, you know, it's because they're, they're frequently not doing this. If it was just a once in a while thing, we wouldn't be talking about it in therapy, but it's something they do all the time because of this core feeling they carry with them. So we just use that situation as a doorway to get into and bring it into the present feeling. How do you feel now? What's going on? What keeps you from connecting? How do you see yourself? And can you share it in this moment with your partner? Am I getting that right? Totally got it. Yeah, you could teach this stuff. You totally got it. I'm trying. <laughs> and it was, it was helpful when I was going through my um, steps and stages for my uh, certification tapes as well, really understanding the difference between stage one and stage two. And, and I like how you mentioned certain markers to know if you're going deep enough. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, when I think about going deep enough, I actually envision the infinity loop and the cycle, and it really is layers. There's action tendency, attributions or thoughts or perceptions, secondary emotions, primary emotions, and then unmet attachment meet. So when we're talking about primary emotions, a lot of therapists think like, okay, that's as vulnerable as we can go. That's great. This is vulnerability. They're crying. Wow. They feel amazing when, when they respond to each other from that place. But really, we really can go deeper and we need to go to the attachment need. That's as deep as we can go. And from that place of need, we have to call out. And then we have to see, there's all this uncertainty. Will my partner respond to me when I call out from my place of need after I've gone vulnerable? When you see me talking about how I'm scared of rejection, well, actually, I'm scared that you don't even love me right here as I'm talking about that. So what do I need? I need some reassurance. Now, what does that look like? We have to help them find that. Is that a hug? Is that some words? 
Is that just a gaze into my eyes? What is that reassurance that I need? I don't know. We'll help the clients find out, but it has to be vulnerable and then about the unmet attachment need and not just finding the need, but they need to ask for it. They need to call for it. That is the most vulnerable place a person can be in a relationship. So I don't know if I was super clear on all the mile markers, sign up for one of George Fowler's trainings to get clearer on it. Right. I'm thinking like just go as deep as you can in the here and now and you actually have to come out and ask for it. So how might you mind deeper because a lot of us come across a, a client who says I'm afraid to be rejected. How would you go from there to the lower point? Right. So I'm afraid to be rejected. Okay. So do you mind if I do a one woman show right now? Therapy? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Take the stage. Okay. So um, let's see. So I'm afraid to be rejected. I'm just afraid to be rejected. So I don't do anything. Okay. So you're afraid to be rejected. Help me understand. What is it like to be rejected? What does that do to you in that place? Well, it just kind of shuts me down and I feel scared and I feel just like I don't, I just start to disappear. Oh, so you start to disappear. Oh my goodness. So when you start to disappear because someone's not there for you, what does that say about you? Who are you in that place? I'm just invisible. I don't matter. And I'm, I'm kind of worthless. I'm actually kind of worthless. You're worthless here? Yeah, I see that. So of course you don't want to reject getting this feedback that you're worthless. So... Of course, you don't want to risk getting this feedback that you're worthless. So you don't risk rejection at all. You don't go there. And so now as he's talking about worthless, that's already starting to be unmet attachment need. You know, like it's a little deeper than rejected because it's talking about who he is as a person. Rejection is talking about like what just happened. Someone rejected me. But how do I make sense of it? Why would someone reject me? Well, if I really work on my model of self and dig down into there, I'm going to see it's because I'm not worth it. I'm not lovable. I don't matter. I'm just, I'm so insignificant. And that is some of our deepest attachment needs. We need to know that we matter. We need to know that we're cherished. We need to know that we're beloved in every place, in the places that we're succeeding and in the places that we're failing. So I would kind of just go down layer by layer, validate and ask evocative questions to try to get there. But I do have an agenda. I want to know his model of self in that place. Who are you in that place of pain? I like that. I like that question. Who are you in that place of pain? The, the usual phrase I use to try to get there, but I'm always looking for new phrases because I want to do this better, obviously. But I might use something like, Okay, so I hear you talk about feeling rejected. Oh, you know, that's, that sounds really awful. Can you help me understand what is that like for you to feel rejected? What, what do you feel in that moment? What does it feel like to feel rejected? And, and a lot of times they'll get down to like, you know, I don't feel wanted. I don't feel worthy, you know, uh, so you don't see yourself as worthy. Yeah, I can understand why that would be so sad and so lonely for you or whatever they've given me, whatever primary they've given with me with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great example of there's many roads to this. 
you know, if this is the inner truth, then all we need to do is knock on any door and we'll get there. So that's another beautiful way to get to that worthless place. Yeah, there's so much languaging around EFT that's very specific and unique to EFT as a model, I feel. And, you know, nobody steal this idea, but one day I have this goal of writing like an EFT language book, you know, because there's so many helpful door handles that we as the therapists can use questions that can help evoke those deeper things. That's what you mean by evocative questioning is we're asking questions that will evoke something deeper. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, how you ask the question is goes a long way with how much you can evoke. So I really, I really appreciate, you know, you sharing some other ways, some other um, phrasing that people could use to get to those deeper places. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm just copying my mentors. <laughs> pass it along. I think we're all just, you know, evolving in this new language. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So really to, to sum it up and bring it back home is, you know, stage one is about escalation. What keeps them in disconnection? How are they fighting? And we're going to have them start sharing what's really underneath what they do and what they are thinking or assumptions that they're making in stage one and how what kind of emotional response that has and helping them to really share that in a way that's not like they are doing when they're caught up in the cycle right exactly and then when they're able to identify the cycle on their own and they're able to say we see it and we're we're starting to get our way out of it like some things came up but we were able to get get out of it and really talk about it in a different way that's a marker they're ready for stage two. Mm -hmm. And then when we go into stage two, we're really having them tap down to their, if they're not there already, because again, the absence of disconnection is not always the presence of connection. Exactly. And you're really having them get into, okay, are you connecting? If you're not connecting, what holds you back? And then we go into that and have them start to really we mine deep for their view of self. You know, when you feel rejected by your partner, how do you see yourself in that moment? What does it feel like to feel rejected by your partner? What is that like in your world? And really having them share that and the needs, you know, to feel close, to feel loved and worthy, accepted, wanted, um, you know, and to get that through hugs or words of validation or whatever it is, you know, really helping them deepen that connection in, in a, a really a deep way. Cause some couples are good at connecting very superficially, mm -hmm. but we want to really, what sounds like is really going to strengthen this and make the change permanent versus temporary is now teaching them how to get more emotionally deep and vulnerable with each other and share you know because a lot of them will like yeah we talk about things but they sort of still dance around their emotional vulnerability even when it comes to good things like mm -hmm. sex you know and talking mm -hmm. about the emotions behind it and being wanted that's an area where we i think we really see that show up mm -hmm. and really helping them take it from superficial to really deep and emotionally intimate. We're really deepening emotional intimacy at this point and teaching them how to deepen that on their own so yeah. they can continue to do the work. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that 
in stage one, we have them reveal themselves to each other, but it feels like in stage two, we do more of that and we actually have them depend on each other. Yeah. And yeah. we depend on the enactments. I like that. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aviva, for being with us. I'm going to put a link to your series down in the drop down description for this box. Thank if you, you guys like our videos, make sure that you stay tuned and keep watching. Hopefully we'll be doing some EFT talk videos uh, at least quarterly, if not more often. It's, it's only as often as I can get access to trainers and supervisors and they're quite busy people. So Thank you everyone for learning about EFT and taking the time to watch our videos and uh, just stay tuned. Thank you everyone. Thanks guys. Bye.